I'm here today with Nicole Parker, Troy Brand, and Gina Thomas, who are all contributors to a new book called The Lead, L-E-A-D, Anti-Racism Challenge, a 40-day journey. So I'm sure we're going to find out in a minute what L-E-A-D stands for, but uh, I want to thank Nicole and Troy and Gina for joining us here today. Amen. Thank you for having us. Great to be here. So um, since there's three of you, I thought it would be best to just let each of you introduce yourselves, if you could. So, um, Nicole, you want to go first? Uh, sure. I am, I'm just a stay-at-home mom, mostly. I'm teaching a couple of classes at Southern Adventist University along with my husband. And um, I just got involved in this project because Troy, it's his fault. <laughs> um, Troy and I were both at a um, an anti-racism vigil, and he asked me to write a, a pledge, an anti-racism pledge, and I thought, well, that's a great thing to do. I've got four teenagers, and we were looking for ministry opportunities that we could involve our kids in, and my husband has a doctorate in racial reconciliation issues from when he lived in South Africa. He was born and raised in Zimbabwe, so... Mm. Um, so it was a natural fit. And so the kids and I, with a couple of their friends and my husband all kind of threw around ideas and wrote a pledge. And then I gave it to Troy and that's how I got involved. Very cool. Troy, go ahead. Um, Troy Brand. I am the pastor of the Orchard Park Seventh-day Adventist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Um, that's my one and only passion, pastoral ministry. Uh, I, I teach uh, a prophecy class at Southern Adventist University. Uh, probably passionate about that as well. But, um, you know, I'm a community guy. I'm involved heavily in the community here in the city of Chattanooga. So, Gina, go ahead. Yeah, my name is Gina Thomas, and I am an author. Um, I've written a couple of books and then just got to join in on this one, which was quite a pleasure. Um, but I, uh, I also work as a content strategist in, in my day job. And have been homeschooling my child, but she actually started back in school today, and I'm so excited. <laughs> I know that feeling. <laughs> so Amen. this project's got a couple of different elements. So there's a book, there's a pledge, there's a website. So maybe one of you can kind of just talk about how it got started and, uh, and how you decided to structure it. Okay, so, so, you know, last year, along with the coronavirus invading our lives, um, we had a, a summer of racial reconciliation, you know, with the different killings of uh, black men and then uh, Breonna Taylor as well. And so in the midst of that, there were a lot of discussions being had in, in circles across the country, and, and Chattanooga was not exempt. Um, there's a group here called... Um, of, of pastors, interracial group, one kingdom, one church. And we were having discussions about uh, what, what we could do um, from a, from a Christian standpoint, from a, from a, a church standpoint to address the racial unrest in, in the, in the country, or at least in our area. And so what we, what we came up with was a truth and reconciliation ceremony, which we held, uh, at Miller Park here in the city of Chattanooga. But myself and another pastor, um, Pastor um, Chris, uh, we, we, did, we weren't satisfied with that. Chris Sorensen, we weren't satisfied with that. It was, it was, it was excellent and it was good, but it, didn't, it, it wasn't long-lasting. It was an event. It wasn't, it wasn't a movement. 
And so we had a discussion about what we could do. And we said, man, we should come up with some kind of pledge, some kind of commitment people could, could, could uh, you know, make. And, and that pledge could kind of guide and direct them as they begin to engage people in conversation. And so we talked about what to do, just me and him. Uh, we, my, my assignment was to write the pledge. His assignment was to um, find a video, uh, somebody to produce a video so that we could promote the pledge. That's all we had. Well, um, Nicole already mentioned, we were at a different kind of anti-racism rally. And it was nothing but, you know, the Holy Spirit said, hey, listen, ask her. I said, Nicole, what do you, what, what do you, how would you like to write a pledge for us? I said, we, we have this project. I'm supposed to write it. I don't really have the time to write it. I don't have the mind to write it. Can you, you think you could take this on? And she said, yes. And at the same time, um, she said, yes, uh, we were collect gathering up people to be a part of our project. Um, and Chris said, hey, I know this, this young lady. She's excellent, man. She's really powerful. Uh, her name is Gina. She, she doesn't go to my church, but, and he says, I don't know her that well, but I like her. Why don't you, why don't you invite her to be a part of this project as well? And so we, re we recruited Gina as well. Um, Nicole produced the pledge, I guess, Nicole, probably about maybe uh, two weeks or so. And you can tell, tell them how, how you produced the pledge. It's, it's an excellent, inspiring story. Well, you know, my husband and I talked when we were driving home from church and threw together ideas. We're like, what, what words would we want to use? And we just decided we need to put together something that will stick in people's minds. And the words that, you know, I mean, my husband's doctoral dissertation, he studied three churches in the process of racial transition from white to multicultural in South Africa. And the things that we saw and the interviews that we did and everything else when we were living there, it was, it was life-changing for me. So out of that experience, he and I came up with four words that we thought would really fit what we wanted to communicate. And that was listen, embrace, advocate, and dream as a, as a process. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that the Holy Spirit was just helping us, you know, so we thought all four of those words would work well. And so then, you know, kind of crystallized into the lead pledge. Then I sat down at my dining room table with my kids and a few of their friends. I think we had three of their other teenage friends around. And I said, OK, guys, here's what we're working on. And so I started writing and asking them and saying, OK, guys, what do you think about this? And they were like, yeah, yeah, this. Oh, and say that. And, and so that's how the lead pledge was written. Seven teenagers sitting with me around a table. And when, when I say sitting, um, I have very active kids. So this, sometimes it was kind of like riding in a monkey cage. <laughs> but the kids were excited about it. They wanted this. And they were giving me suggestions and ideas and, and criticisms. And, oh, let's say this and add that. So that's how the lead pledge was written. And I emailed it off to... Troy the next day and he said yeah this is great but let's change this word here and a couple things there and we changed it from we to I because we realized this needs to be this needs to be a personal commitment and and that was it so um we were just in as a family I mean we had already gone and marched in Chattanooga in one of the uh marches and and I was astonished honestly that 
there was so much resistance among white Christians. I mean, even though I've been seeing stuff going on in the country, I just, I just couldn't understand. You know, we put up a sign that said, love thy neighbor, Black Lives Matter, two of those signs in our yard. And one of the neighbors came over and objected. And just things like that really were eye-opening for me, for my kids. I wanted them to be involved and to have a vision for this, too. And, and it, it's been great for all of our family. So um, the pledge is on a website. What's the website address? Leadpledge.org. So leadpledge, L-E-A-D, pledge.org. Okay. Right. Right. So first it was an idea, then it was a pledge and a website, mm-hmm. and now it's also a book. So how did that happen? That's yeah. Troy's so, so fault what, again. <laughs> yeah. So what would happen is we, we were, we were we, we're interested in not just, you know, okay, sign the pledge, and then what? And, and so we gathered together several people. We, have, um, we had Gina join us. Mark Love joined us. Um, um, Maggie, Maggie Tate. These, these are people, Matthew Schellenberger, different denominations, black and white. Um, we had some other folks, but uh, I think we had a team of about 10 at first, and it died off to about six of us. Um, and what we talked about is how can we – uh, make this something where people make a, a greater commitment. Signing the pledge is cute. Your name is on the website and everybody, you know, feels good for the moment, but how can it go further? And uh, collectively, uh, we kind of threw out several ideas and we came up with the idea of writing a 40 day devotional um, that, that incorporates each one of the I will statements in our lead pledge. Okay. Yeah, so there, there are 20 sentences in the pledge. So, Troy said, well, why don't we make it a 40-day devotional and we can use two days for each sentence and unpack them. Um, I will do these things. Because, you know, just like if you say, listen, embrace, advocate, dream, that communicates the basic process of reconciliation. But to unpack it more in the pledge gave people more of an understanding of what it means. And, And it just made sense to unpack it further by giving devotionals. I realize people are from all different backgrounds signing this pledge and to give some gentle steps. This is how anybody can be anti-racist. That was the right. general of the book right. and to show how the gospel applies to racism. Very cool. Very cool. So each devotional then is like a line out of the pledge and then some reflection on that. Right. So we recruited writers from all over, you know, the place with all different perspectives to be able to tell some of them telling their stories, some of them unpacking scripture. You know, Michael Card wrote about um, being able to connect meaningfully with people across racial and cultural lines from a more biblical perspective. Right. Um, My friend Michael Luby wrote from his own perspective as a black man being thrown against a car by police for nothing. Um, and Gina wrote about being a foster mom for a child who had come to the border. We, just different perspectives, being inclusive. Yeah, so Gina, how, how did you uh, view this project? Yeah, I was really excited about this project um, for a couple of reasons. First of all, um, just the idea that there were people from so many different backgrounds and denominations coming together for this one project to, 
to really point to this idea that, um, you know, that Jesus has much to say um, about racial reconciliation, about justice within our races, um, and, and really combat that idea that just preach the gospel. Um, no, this is the gospel. Um, and uh, in addition to that, at the time, I was working as a curriculum writer, and so I was able to use some of the skills that I had gotten from that um, from that job towards this project to really help in understanding how uh, adults are educated. And so kind of looking through like the taxonomy of, of learning. And if you think about these words elite, in the lead um, process, uh, listen is first and then embrace and then advocate and then dream. It's kind of like it moves you up um, Bloom's taxonomy of, of understanding information and then applying it and then being able to go out and, and do it, right? Um, and so I love the way the, the devotion itself, and I've even heard this feedback from other people who've read it, um, that it really does, like it starts you off, kind of gently leads you into this stuff. And some of it's not so gentle, um, but it does right. move you in a way that, is, that makes sense and is logical and helps you grow um, and be challenged in, a, in an effective way. So it, it was just really exciting for me in a lot of different levels. Great. You know, you know what's interesting, Brian. Um, Gina said about the the pledge, some of it not being so gentle. Um, and and you know, when you finish a project, it comes together in this thing. You know, you don't look back at all of the discussions and hard work. But I remember having discussions, and I remember being frustrated because uh, Nicole and see, I don't have the same perspective because I'm black. And mm -hmm. so Nicole and Gina and every other white person is like Troy. Start slow. Okay, everybody's not where we are. And I'm like, no, but it's a challenge. You know, we got to challenge them and everything. And so I kind of fought my way into the first, my, one of my writings, I kind of fought my way into the first, uh, what, first 10 days. And they were gracious to let me in. And I hope it wasn't too, too forceful in those first 10 days. Uh, but I think, you know, overall, the feedback has been wonderful. So that's good. My, my one challenging thing in the beginning, Gina, wasn't too bad. No, it's actually, it's good, right? There's, there's quite a tension there when we're talking about racial justice to be challenging, to be honest, to be open, but also to have an on-ramp for people who are just not ready right. Um, right. at that moment or not where you are. So it's, a, it's quite the tension challenge. Um, and I, and I, I, learned, think, I learned it. Yeah, and I think that, I think the book kind of gives into both, right? It like, there's these moments where it's like, whoa, that hit me, Um but but overall, it's it is a it is a movement upward, which I think is really effective. It, it is so hard to do this work. You know, when I was living in South Africa, I would just be open mouthed at some of the things that straight up white Christian, you know, people did. And they would just say to my husband because he's white in front of me because I'm white about black people. And I was just like, did I really just hear that? did you really just say that and you go to church every week? And, and so, and then I have, of course, friends who send me stuff. Oh, listen to this. Isn't this a beautiful, and I'm like, this is a horrifying misrepresentation of Black Lives Matter. And, and yet I, I kept going, Nicole, you got to swallow hard and meet them where they are. So the book, I feel like I, I loved how all the different flavors came together with more intense appeals like we are tired as Troy said you know and, and I resonate so deeply with that you know this morning 
reading the news and I find a 20 year old yeah. young man is killed yeah. over an air freshener and I'm right. angry and I'm just yeah. crying out to God in my car going, God, how long my son could have been that child. He's 15. It could be my son in five years, except it won't because he's white. And that's just wrong. It's just wrong. Some other mom has to live in that fear. And I have privilege. And if I don't use that privilege, I'm responsible before God. So, so that getting, getting all of these different perspectives together and yet making it, like you said, a gentle enough on-ramp for people who aren't there at all was challenging, but I just felt like the spirit led in pulling together as I get devotional after devotional from different people who wrote. I was just like, yes, now this fits, this fits, this is what we need. So it was totally a divine thing. Um, A lot of hard work, but it's just beautiful how it came together. So there's at least a couple different ways I know that people can get involved. They can go to the website and sign the pledge. Yes. Again, that's leadpledge.org, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, they can buy the book, and I'm Correct. sure that's available on the website. I know it's available on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Yes. Probably other, uh, other places as well. Did you um, self-publish the book? Yes, we did. I had, I've actually published, self-published five books that have all ended up being bestsellers on Amazon. So when Troy said, well, we, could we write a book? How would we get it published? You know, could we get a publisher to do it? I was like, nah, we don't need to do that. I know how to do that. <laughs> so <laughs> the Lord just kind of pulled together a bunch of different pieces of knowing how to self-publish it and to get the book out to, you know, people just straight from the website. Excellent. Excellent. And so what other elements are there that um, you'd like to talk about or that you maybe are thinking about for the future? I just will say that uh, in addition to this being uh, a mix of black and white writers, there's also Asian and Latinx writers in here as well. And especially with everything happening in the Asian community right now, um, it's, I think, just all the more important that we're talking about racism in every facet of it, um, whether it's subtle or, you know, not so subtle. Um, and, and I love that the book really does a good job of speaking to all of the different forms of it. Um, I'm actually going through the book right now in my church, and I am, I'm weeping as I read parts of it that I had not read before. And, um, and just, you know, just getting hit with different, um, different aspects that people live through, different lives that, that are lived right around the corner from my house. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it's really powerful. And so um, uh, one of the things we want to do is, well, we have a Facebook page as well um, that we try to keep updated. And uh, we're actually looking for some people who, who can help us out. Um, being busy, <laughs> as we are, all are, it's a, it's a hard job to um, monitor and manage social media. Um, and so we're recruiting some, some young people to help us with Instagram, and we hope to get that launched soon. And Twitter. Um, and Twitter. Um, but as far as a follow-up project, we have not talked about that. I don't, I don't know if we want to talk about that yet. Um, what we did is we, we, we started off, I think we started in July or August, or sometime around in the summer at, at the height of the racial unrest, and there was a lot of energy. But then the year went on, and Nicole kept saying, we got to get this done, you guys. We're losing. We're losing. I said, Nicole, racism's not going anywhere. There will be another incident. This will be relevant. Trust me, it will be relevant. Unfortunately. Yeah, and it's unfortunate, yeah. but it's true. Um, the book is still relevant today. Like you said, we just had an incident yesterday. 
and the, the trial is going on. So this is still real fresh and relevant material. Um, and we, we, we're trying to um, keep it going, keep it fresh, and create a movement. We don't want it to just be a pledge. We don't want it just to be a challenge. We want people to actually move from being non-engaged, um, neutral, or, or racist even, to becoming anti-racist. That's the goal. As many people as possible, because there are a lot of there are a lot of people in America, black, white, um, Hispanic or Latinx and, and uh, you know, Asian or whatever, who are just good people. But they're not anti-racist. And that's a, there's a difference. It's one thing to not be racist. It's a totally another thing to be anti-racist, which means you stand against racism and you speak up against people who are racist. You don't allow off off-colored jokes in your space. Um, when you're in a, in a restaurant and you don't allow discrimination uh, of minorities, when you're in, in the supermarket and, and some of our Latinx brothers and sisters are in the line and they're having to struggle counting their money or something like that and you see that they're about to get taken advantage of with a customer, um, I mean, not the customer, the cashier has been impatient, you rebuke that foolishness in the name of Jesus. That's what anti-racism does. We did, we just don't allow it in our spaces at all. Same way we wouldn't allow drug selling in our spaces. We wouldn't allow sexual assault in our spaces. That We don't allow racism. That's anti-racism. We want people to move from being comfortable, saying I'm okay because I'm not racist and it's not around me, to, to injecting themselves uh, into situations when they see it and calling uh, people out for it in well, a loving way. Totally agree. I mean, complacency just supports the infrastructure of systemic racism that's, that's right. existed forever. And so that's unless right. we take action to do something about it, it's just going to keep its momentum. So yeah. Yeah. this is where I feel like there's, there's a critical audience that needs to read this book, that needs to sign this pledge, but that are going to be hesitant because they're like, if I sign that pledge, what about my friends that are going to see that? And if I post about it on social media, then they're like, what? Are you part of that BLM gang, you know, kind of thing? And I just want to encourage people who might be afraid to make any kind of public statement. You can engage in this movement. This is a movement that is consistently pro-life for every person. Um, you know, seeing the lives of black young men as priceless in the light of the cross seeing the lives of white people as priceless in the light of the cross, seeing that every one of us has privilege in different ways and whatever privilege we have, we're responsible to use that to, to take forward the cause of righteousness, loving God and loving others is real time stuff and anybody can do it. Every person can and should be an anti-racist. It's not enough to be quiet. If I'm quiet, I'm part of the problem. And, and the book shows how, because for many people, I think they're kind of like, well, I don't know how to do anything about that. And if I say anything, everybody's going to pounce on me and say, are you one of them BLM people? And, and you don't have to be. It's, it's, it's clear when we present rightly that God loves everybody. And this is our way to participate in the process of communicating his love mm -hmm. to everybody. So it's not, a, it's not an anti-Christian thing. It's not a Marxist thing. It's not a, anything like that. I've spent 30 years devouring the Bible, and the Jesus I read about in the Bible made a point of including Samaritans. He oh, made really? a point of talking about people who were excluded or treated poorly, mm -hmm. like lepers mm -hmm. and children and mm -hmm. women. 
And he did that not because he was part of some, you know, ridiculous movement or that he was an angry rioter. It was because it was right. And in Hebrew, the word that's translated justice is also translated righteousness in other places. Mm-hmm. It? And, and this is a part of righteousness to that's seek right. justice and relieve the oppressed. I mean, if, any, if you can't see that police killing a black man because he had an air freshener in his car and then he sat back down in the car because he's probably scared. If you can't see there's something wrong here, and maybe reading this book is a start. So, so can, I, can I just inject something? And I know we're t- talking about the book, but if in, in black America, we see a stark contrast. You have a young man who had a cell phone and an air freshener and he lost his life. You have a white man who killed 10 people, including a police officer, and he was taken in peacefully. Mm-hmm. We can't understand that in black America. It absolutely makes no sense. It absolutely makes zero sense. And this, and this, is, this is what we talk about when we talk about um, you know, systemic and systematic racism. It has nothing to do with the fact of to, as whether or not police officers were intentionally racist against the black guy and intentionally non-racist against the white guy. It's just subconscious. I'm afraid of this black guy, so I'm going to shoot him. But you have a person who's killed 10 people, including a police officer, and he's taken in. Um, he, he wasn't bloody. He wasn't beaten. He was taken in peacefully. That's absolutely, that, that's mind-blowing to me. That's absolutely mind-blowing to me. And, and people just kind of make excuses. Oh, this black, he, he was doing so-and-so. George Floyd trial is a perfect example. The, the, um, the officer Chauvin, you know, is accused of killing him, kneeling on his neck. The defense is their their, their defense is to make him a drug addict, and make in, in other words, let's dehumanize him and make his killing okay because he's he's not really a person anyway. You know, he's just a drug addict. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely ridiculous. Mm-hmm. He's a human. Yeah, and it's not one situation. People all be like, oh, well, but that guy, he had a history or he was homeless or whatever. But it can't be. You know, when you watch a video where there's a, a lieutenant and he's being treated like trash by the police, it, you know, I watch it and I'm like, okay, so if this guy had just murdered a whole bunch of people, I can sort of, it'd still be wrong to treat him like trash. But I can understand being this defensive and screaming at him and stuff. But this is insane. This is insane. And it is dehumanization, which is totally against the gospel. Well, unfortunately, there's so many ugly ways that this whole thing is revealing itself. And, you know, mm-hmm. another example is all, the whole voting law situation. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. These laws being passed that are obviously specifically intended to decrease the number of minority votes. I mean, give me that. Right. I mean, if, right. that's not, if that's not racism, I don't know what is. And if we don't speak out against it, we're part of the problem. Yeah. And, and I realize as a white person, I benefit from privilege. So I have to use that privilege to help those who don't benefit from it, or else I become responsible before God for not seeking justice when that's what he said to do. You know, I have two sons who are 14 and 15. And we talk about privilege. Somebody posted something on my wall. I think it was around when my son turned 14. It's on his 14th birthday. And one of my friends posted something on my wall, a white man. And he's like, well, I, you think that white people are privileged, but 
how do you how do you explain the fact that I've had to work really hard all my life? And and I was like, come on. So I said, okay. I called my son over. I said, it's your birthday and you're old enough. You explain white privilege. And I just typed what he wrote. And in answer to my friend on social media, I'm like, here's my son's answer on his 14th birthday. This is not complicated. If my son can explain this to you, you know, and he's like, well, we're responsible. Essentially, that's what my son was saying. Uh, doesn't mean that, you know, I'm better than everybody else. It just means that if I have privilege, I'm responsible to use it to help those who don't have it. And so if I'm with my black friend and police stop us and my friend is scared, it's my responsibility to stand up for him and to let the police know that, you know, he needs to be treated fairly. So just those kinds of conversations, we have to have these kinds of conversations. We shouldn't be leaving black parents to have conversations with their children about wearing hoodies and things like that without us having conversations with our children about what to do if they witness something that is unjust. Right. Right. And that's what the book, that's what we hope the book does is create conversation. Um, uh, Gina talked about her group. Uh, I think, I guess you, were you with Melody? Y'all were reading Mm -hmm. together. And Mm -hmm. then um, Maggie Tate had another group uh, and they talked about it. The responses, that came from these group discussions is absolutely incredible. Um, so we've, I've encouraged people to use the pledge as a, t- a conversation tool, especially last year at the height of the um, social unrest. Uh, several of my church members, uh, they work in, in environments where they're uh, one of a few minorities in the environment. And so people would ask them, uh, so what do you think about all this racial stuff that's going on? And they didn't know how to respond. I said, well, take the pledge, invite them, to take a journey with you through the pledge and use the pledge as a tool of engagement for conversation. And so at every statement of I will, ask them how do they feel about it. And, and because I don't think that there were um, some of our white brothers and sisters who met any harm. They just were genuinely curious because they saw what happened to Ahmaud Aubrey. They saw what happened to George Floyd. These, these images couldn't be explained away. And so now they're saying, okay, what can I do? I don't, I don't know how to process it. Well, the pledge becomes a tool for processing it. And then the book takes it further and it challenges you to be different, to engage differently. A lot of our, at the end of each devotion, we give one to two or three challenges for the, for the day. A lot of those challenges uh, involve conversations and, or educational pieces. Because what happens is if you don't know, you can't engage in intelligent conversation. And so some of it was research, find this information out and then, you know, talk about it with some friends or whatever. But when you engage in conversation, when you do research on your own, you, you educate yourself surrounding race, it changes the narrative. And you become less comfortable with people being mistreated simply because they look differently than you or, or gender wise as well. Mm-hmm. Right, right, rightly understood and applied, this pledge and this challenge will spill over into every area of life. When we witness injustice, we'll say, I'm not going to be silent. I can't be silent. And, and so we, this is the most grassroots of grassroots movements. We're a bunch of busy people just saying enough is enough. We're going to have to rise up and do something. And that's what the pledge and the book have come out of. Um, we don't really have 
steps forward planned out right now, except here at Southern Adventist University, where my husband is a professor, he and um, somebody else here, they're working on creating um, specific ways to apply the pledge. So they're going to be coming out with uh, a plan for how to help walk our faculty and staff in the university here through how to become anti-racist using the LEAD pledge and some activities and things like that to go along with it. So they've been brainstorming, coming up with activities and ways to make the pledge practical for people who are still kind of learning where to, how to become an anti-racist. Right. Wow. Well, this is excellent. I mean, uh, it's just kind of amazing, isn't it? You know, some bad things really happen, but I think it's causing some serious change and some serious reflection and some serious action that has been needed for a long time. It has been needed and, and we need to do more. So I'm open to ideas and things like that. This summer I've got two more books to write to finish my tales of the Exodus series for kids, which also is incorporating in anti-racism and um, trying to trying to apply the principles of the gospel using story form for kids um, but I'm still open to working. I basically took six weeks off from my other writing projects to write this book, pull it together, get all the other writers and, you know, all of that. And then I'm, I'm just waiting to see what God is going to do through the, the lead pledge, the lead challenge, and where we go from here, honestly. Excellent. Well, thanks, you guys, for doing all this work and for, you know, spending some time today to talk about it. And, um, you know, I wish you the best in terms of helping to get it out there and get it used. Amen. Thank, thank you. you. We appreciate you having us. Yes, thanks so much, Brian. Well, it's my pleasure.